Thanks for tuning in to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suju Organic, where we inspire, educate, and provide advice and insights around those who are in the sports business and entertainment industry. Please follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Life in the Front Office. And don't forget to follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Lastly, get your 15% off Suja at sujaorganic.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Sujo Organic. Excited for today's episode with Lauren Turner, COO at USA Gymnastics. And we'll get into a little bit of her career path, uh, the ecosystem in which the governing bodies exist uh, within the world of sports and business. Uh, and we'll go from there. But Lauren, excited to have you. Um, let's kick it off with a little bit about what you do now and how, and then we'll get to how you got there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, Jake. It's uh, an honor to join you this morning. <clears throat> I'm the Chief Operating Officer at USAG. Uh, we're a small uh, sports organization, national governing body of the sport of gymnastics. We have about 200,000 members. Uh, what most people know at USA Gymnastics is our national team uh, associated with the Olympic Games and uh, our dominant women's artistic team. <clears throat> we do have other disciplines um, at USAG, including men's artistic, um, acro, parkour, rhythmic, and trampoline and tumbling. Um, so we oversee the entire sport of gymnastics uh, from the development program, from little girls and little boys, their first time in the gym, all the way up to the Olympians that are now household names. Um, my role here is to really uh, step in in Lily's stead when she's traveling or to run the organization, make sure we're focused on our goals and our objectives. Um, but I also oversee all the commercial as uh, aspects of our organization, revenue generation, along with <clears throat> HR, IT, finance, some of the operational aspects of any business. So as a leader, as a leader of an organization like this and, and having, we'll get to your career path in a second, but being able to have your hands in a bunch of different buckets, right? You, you just mentioned HR, finance, IT. Most people growing up in the business would never say, I want to get into HR, finance, IT. Like those aren't things that jump off the page to them. But when you get to your level, you're dealing with all of it. So what's maybe one thing you've learned about how to deal with all the different inter interdisciplinaries and departments? Yeah, so I, I do feel I'm a little unique. I have a computer science and a math degree, which is a little bit unique in, in my role. Um, I think one of the things is making sure you have good people, um, having a great CFO, having a great um, IT director. So having the right people in the right roles is really important um, because that makes my job so much easier when I have those trusted um, staff members who are the best, you know, in their specific area to uh, to help me learn the areas that I don't know or to, to give me the guidance and recommendations that I need in order to lead the organization um, the best that I can. Um, I think agility is really important, especially in a small organization, the ability to pivot when needed. Um, we, we have to do that. Sometimes we just don't have the resources that we need to do everything we want to do. So um, making sure that we, we're, you know, we're a small organization, but we move really, really quickly. So the ability to, you know, have the right people on our team, a great staff, but also that ability to, to have the pivoting and the agility to, to do the things that we really need to do. 
And I want to go back to the computer science and math degree. So where did that start? How did you get into sports as a whole, if that's where you started? And I know you also taught uh, within the education system before you got into your career in sports, too. So talk a little bit about that transition. Yeah, so I I got my math and my computer science from my dad. He is he has his PhD in statistics and he is a genius. So I've always been somewhat um, you know, analytical by nature, which I think does help me in my role. Uh, problem solving, complex problems is something that I actually really enjoy. Most people don't, but I actually really like the complex problem that I need to find that unique solution to. So you know, when I graduated, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I, I knew I didn't want to sit in a cube all day programming. Um, I like being around people. I've always been involved in sports. So part of my decision to teach high school math and Spanish was I coached. So it kept me involved in um, athletics in a way that I wasn't really sure where to turn. So um, that was really my draw to the education sector was was really around coaching and making an impact in, in young people's lives. I firmly believe in the power of sport as far as character development and what it's doing to develop our leaders um, for tomorrow. And uh, so that was kind of my, my path in the education sector. From there, I, I did get a little bored in the classroom. I felt like the four walls were kind of closing in on me. Um, I, I It was a lot of rinse and repeat doing the same thing day after day after day. Maybe the content was different or the subject was different, but I got a little uh, bored. And so I, I took on a sales job in a sports industry with Varsity Brands, kind of moved into training, moved into management, um, had some great mentors along the way who really... I, I learned so much just from experience and exposure from being with some fantastic business people along the way. And uh, that was kind of my path into the sports, the business side of sports, so to speak. And we've had Matt um, Demondon from, well, he's now since moved on from Varsity Brands, but uh, we had him kind of on a previous episode describe just the whole entire industry in terms of you know, youth sports, gymnastics, what that looks like, spirit, the whole thing. And as you think about um, how that plays a role within the ecosystem of, you know, youth sports, high school sports, college sports, and so on, what's the biggest thing that people don't know about USA Gymnastics? As you talked about at the very, very beginning of the episode, most people know the organization for the Olympic teams, right? And the national teams and, um, again, every four years is not enough to have on the radar of a sport, right? So what do people need to know that they maybe have no idea about with what, uh, you know, a governing body does? Yeah, I, I think um, within gymnastics specifically, the sport is such a foundational sport for other sports. When you look at the Olympic Games uh, and you look at divers or like the aerial snow sports or even martial arts, you see a lot of Olympians who started in gymnastics, even Josh Allen, um, you know, quarterback Josh Allen talked about he started in gymnastics class. His, his mom was like, you have a lot of energy. What are we going to do? And they put him in gymnastics class. So it is a foundational sport. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't know, that um, a lot of athletes that have become really elite in other areas have started within the sport of gymnastics. It, you know, core strength you know, um, your spatial awareness, coordination. There's so many things, mental toughness that the sport teaches you that really translates well into other um, sports and activities. So I think that's one thing. 
I think the other thing is that really we have 350 that are elite athletes that are national team athletes. And we have 160,000 athletes that are doing the sport that are not elite. So when you look at NCAA, um, all of those athletes started within USA Gymnastics at some point in time in their career. So I think um, just the, the grassroots program is something that's really important and it's a key focus for us but it's not in the news every day. It's not what's on TV. So some people don't really realize um, our role in that or the pipeline that we've created in the United States. Um, when you look at our elite athletes, they are phenomenal on a global stage uh, across all of our disciplines, but especially our women's artistic program. And that is a real strength that in any other sport, there would be some pretty strong words used to describe, you know, seven consecutive world team championships. That doesn't happen in other sports. Um, we're really dominant um, in that group. And that's because of all of the coaches, the volunteers that we have building this pipeline. They've really figured out, um, you know, a fantastic development program that leads to that strength at the elite level. And not a lot of people know that that's, that's why, you know, it's the coaches, it is the, um, the volunteers who are creating that program of developing from level three to level four that really drives that strength for the United States in gymnastics. Yeah. And so as you're listening, you know, the governing body provides a lot of that coaching, teaching, education, um, rules, oversight, guidance. And as you think about the elite spectrum and the Olympics and how you leverage it, you know, because it's one thing for it to happen every four years, right? But then how do you leverage it and leverage it to the grassroots level, right? To expand your efforts, to build upon them. Um, you mentioned seven straight world championships, right? Like there's there's definitely things within that area that are easy levers to pull, but how do you make sure that you all as an organization maximize, let's call it that year or so of the Olympics where you've got the lead up, the event itself, and then maybe the post uh, of the event as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a great question because it's something I think everyone in the Olympic movement is focused on. How do you appropriately leverage, you know, the, the torch or the flame of, of the Olympic games through the rest of the quad? Um, especially as we look to LA 28, we have a huge opportunity ahead of us, not just to grow our organization, but to grow our sport and to grow sport in the United States across, you know, all, um, different kinds of disciplines of sport. So, um, for us, we do have other events and because our athletes are, are well-known, they are household names. Um, it does bring a lot of recognition in those non-Olympic years, um, our, we do have televised shows that are on NBC and other platforms throughout the year. And so one of our um, strategies moving forward is we really are interested in how can we make the sport of gymnastics more mainstream. Um, and, and, you know, NCAA has helped that a lot. You turn on TV on a Friday night and you're going to see NCAA gymnastics. And that's great for our overall sport. Um, the elite athletes who are able to transition back into NCAA, that's never been possible before, but with NIL, it's making that more possible and more likely. So you're seeing those stars, you know, you saw Jade Carey, Jordan Childs, and Suni Lee all go from the Olympic Games to the college uh, landscape and compete there. So that brought more recognition to our sport. So partnering with NCAA, um, also just making sure that we have strong events in the non-Olympic years. And, you know, we do have really strong gymnastics fans, but our goal is 
getting outside of just the gymnastics fan to the mainstream, you know, American public so that they're thinking about gymnastics and sport in those non-calendar years. And, you know, if I remember correctly, right, gymnastics is one of those sports where if you're elite, you're elite at like 14 or 15 or 16 years old, right? And you kind of, you're competing earlier on and you're caught development as opposed to being elite at 30, right? Where some of these other athletes are. Um, how does that affect or impact the buildup of, of where they participate in the grassroots, right? And, and kind of the elite programming, knowing that there's such a window, right? Uh, to be able to capture um, that opportunity. Right. Well, it's it's actually interesting right now, Jake, because that was true. Uh, historically, we had very young athletes. Um, you have to be 16 to to be, you know, on the, uh, you know, that qualifies you as seniors is the age limit now or the, the floor rather of the age spectrum. You have to be turning 16 in that calendar year. Um, we're actually seeing older athletes um, at the, you know, the Tokyo games, we had all adult athletes and that may have been the first time that we had that everyone was over the age of 18. Um, we are seeing with the comeback of like Simone Biles, you know, Gabby Douglas has been um, training again, Suni Lee. So we're seeing a lot of athletes that have done one game. So they've done two games and now they're thinking about coming back or trying for a third And that age really, really expanding. Um, you know, we had two athletes over the age of 20, um, you know, at the at the Tokyo Games. So in that 24 range, Michaela and Simone both. So we are seeing the age extend into their 20s now, which we personally like for a variety of reasons. But it also speaks to some of the changes that we've made from a training perspective and really taking care of recovery and using more medical science and recovery techniques and training techniques that allow their bodies to last longer. Gymnastics is a brutal sport. It's hard. There's a lot of injuries uh, when you think about what you're physically doing um, in this sport. So we actually like that longevity and we like that our athletes are are being able to extend in the sport if they want to longer. And it's and it it's created a unique dynamic because we have such great talented 16-year-olds, and then we have these veterans, and then we have some in the middle, and all of them are amazing athletes. So this is going to be a really interesting, you know, Olympic year to see who actually makes that team. Yeah, I think you're finding that sports science recovery area to be a real focus for a lot of organizations in the sports world, right? Because that, and I love when you use the term old, it's like, no one's actually old. That's just old for, right. you know, elite, elite, elite athletes, right? Where they're competing at the highest of levels, um, you know, and, and when you're 30 and someone else is 24, they have, a, they have a distinct advantage over you. Right. And so, but, but at the same time, you think about, you know, LeBron James and his career and the performance that he's been able to have however many years later. Right. And, and that example is used for, you know, other sports and, and people, you know, baseball, football, Tom Brady, right. Like, like all these different examples of people being able to play a lot longer than maybe they were, they were supposed to, or used to. Um, so as you think about that and I, I think a lot about the youth sports movement and how it's so focused on, the scholarship, right. And, and, you know, trying, trying to get to college, but as you mentioned, turn on Friday night, college gymnastics, like, does that help uh, the grassroots efforts? Because there's a little bit more awareness for 
those parents out there that are like, oh, they could get potentially a scholarship. And again, we know that the amount of people that actually get a scholarship versus those who compete otherwise is, is far and few between, but still that goal to chase. Um, do you see gymnastics expanding potentially within, you know, the collegiate uh, landscape, right, to where there are more opportunities that, again, continues to help the grassroots efforts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this this year, Clemson started a women's gymnastics program. So when you look across the, the Division I NCAA landscape, there's not a lot of schools that are adding sports programs like that. Um, so that that was huge, you know, to have a big ACC school add a, a program like gymnastics, invest in facilities, coaching staff, um, you know, had their first meet. It was a massive crowd. Um, so as that starts happening, we do see an expansion within women's artistic. Um, schools are also noticing the um, campus boost that happens with gymnastics. When you go to, a you know, an Auburn gymnastics meet, it's rocking. I mean, it is packed and it is rocking. And that's good. That's good for recruiting other sports. It's good for, you know, revenue, of course. It's good for the overall morale and feeling of a campus. It gives that campus feeling and, and spirit, school spirit. Um, so we do anticipate more schools adding gymnastics, especially on the women's side. That's something we've been working really hard on the men's side. The reverse has been happening because of Title IX and and uh, some other, you know, dynamics, we have been losing men's programs. And it, that's really important to our um, our elite track on the men's side. Our men do tend to be older um, when they get to the, you know, kind of that Olympic or the world stage, they tend to, to be in college or post-college. So NCAA men's gymnastics is a solid part of our pipeline development, you know, Stanford, OU, Michigan, you know, they all have amazing men's gymnastics programs, but we're, we're losing programs. Minnesota shut their program down a few years ago, um, you know, during COVID. So that's a, a strategy for us and something that we're working with colleges and the NCAA on how can we grow men's gymnastics again. Women's has so much excitement right now that it is naturally growing. Of course, we're supportive. Of course, we have you know programs and incentives to help them do that. That takes away some of the costs and some of the other other things associated. But um, NCAA is definitely a driver for our grassroots. And the more opportunities that young ladies have to continue what they love in the college space, that helps grow what they're doing in high school and middle school and and younger. So. We also see a lot of these athletes not do gymnastics, but maybe they go to cheerleading in college. That's That was my path, by the way. I, I cheered in college. So, um, and there's scholarship opportunities there. There's also in kata, which is a, a sport as well. It's acro and tumbling. Oregon and Baylor are kind of the two dominant um, schools that have that program. So there, we're seeing other opportunities besides just gymnastics for them to continue into the college space and, and have their college paid for. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And to your background of cheerleading college, right? And and having that scholarship opportunity. You mentioned Josh Allen of like, hey, gymnastics was a foundation for another sport. Do you see in participation data that because again, if you think about the youth landscape, it's it's specialized, it's specialized. Everyone's all about specialization. Whereas, you know, do they maybe use gymnastics as a second sport to help with? basketball or 
swimming or something else that they're also playing at the same time? Is there, uh, how do you, you know, how, how do you go about understanding the young population that you've got mm -hmm. and, and kind of the trends? Yeah, more so than adding gymnastics as a second sport, I think it's for little girls, it's one of the first things moms do put them in gymnastics or dance, right? It's either ballet or gymnastics is kind of the thing that they put their little girls in. And so we see it as being, it's it's easy. Uh, I want to be careful when I say easy access. There's a lot of gymnastics classes. It, you can sign up, you can come to a gym for three months. You're not necessarily on a team. So if summer is bad for you, you can kind of pick and choose when you go. And and there's a lot of opportunities to be involved and to participate and to be active. And so when parents are looking for what's a great activity for my child, I think gymnastics is one of those things that naturally rises to the top of the list for, for little girls. Um, I do see a lot of crossover between some sports, again, diving and, and cheerleading as an activity. There's a lot of crossover with gymnastics where they're in the gym taking tumbling or they're in the gym working on the trampoline because they're, they're divers or because they're cheerleaders. So um, they're using gymnastics to improve their skill in a different, um, you know, off of a diving board or, or cheerleading. Um, so we see a lot of that correlation. Um, I think it's, it's one of the things that's really driven our gyms from an economic standpoint is competitive gymnastics is not what pays the bills for gym owners. It is those grassroots mommy and me classes, um, the birthday parties, those kinds of classes. That's where they have the masses and that's where they really financially can, can make a business case for their business. Yeah, I think, you know, you were talking about really the choice right between you know the kind of the first thing that that someone will do with their daughter is go to gymnastics or dance or ballet right and, and thinking right. about like okay those like those are the options and you alluded to earlier team sport um the leadership component that comes from that just the the working in that environment and how important that is from a just a developmental standpoint you know from the ground level, when you think about your experience in college and then kind of how that's led you through your career, what advice do you have for people if they're listening and they're, they're either parents or they're listening and, you know, they're thinking about, Hey, how do I get involved in a team, you know, environment, right. So that I can learn X, Y, and Z. Like what are the biggest things that you've learned that, that you still use today uh, in your career? Yeah. I I mean, overall leadership, I would say being a part of a team or any kind of organized sport, um, I think it's a great place to learn general leadership, um, whether you're the captain or not. Sometimes that's silent leadership and, and being the person who uh, maybe leads by example and is not the loudest or the, the first to do something, but they're they're the quiet leader in the group. Um, I think overall character development, you know, how to be a good teammate. In the sport of gymnastics, it's how to fall, you know, fail and get up again. You know, that resiliency, that's really, really a key part of our sport. Very few people do a back handspring the first time they ever try it perfectly. You know, it's something that takes a lot of practice, a lot of coordination and a lot of resiliency and dedication. So um, I think that work ethic, but that ability to know that you're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days. It's how you respond. What do you do? 
Um, when you do have that bad day, does it make you work harder? Um, you know, how do you change your mindset and get your mentality um, right for approaching the next training session? I think is also really important. And that's translated for me. Um, there's, there's a stat that has always like stood out to me and why I feel really passionate about young girls in sports. And that is that 94% of C-suite women in any industry played a sport. And you're looking for one common denominator, C-suite female, yeah. right? And the it's not, you know, where they were, what kind of school they went to, or did they go to, you know, an Ivy League, you know, education. It's not what kind of socioeconomic home they were brought up in. None of that is the common denominator. It's they played a sport. And so I see that as the greatest reason for, you know, parents to get their young ladies involved in sport because it, it does so much for your self-esteem, your confidence, your leadership, your overall holistic development of a, of an athlete, of a, of a young lady. Um, and I, I think it's really important for our leaders for tomorrow. You can hear that passion that you're talking, you know, that, that you've got for not only the playing a sport as, as you're growing up, but also just like what that does for you. Um, you know, later on in your career, when you think about advice for really anyone in the sports business industry of, hey, what does a governing body opportunity look like? How do you get into one? You mentioned it's a smaller shop, right? In terms of, you know, you don't have 200 people in your organization. Um, what, what what advice would you give for someone who said, yeah, I, I actually want to be a part of that larger movement, something that's bigger than me, and then they want to join a governing body, how would you suggest that they go about it, at least from the start? Doesn't yeah. matter the sport, right? Right. I, I would say, you know, depending on where they are in their career, but for those who are maybe college athletes or college students, internships, we rely on our interns very heavily. Our summer is packed with events and we will have, you know, eight interns in our building. So we have 50, you know, 50 about employees. We'll have eight interns that come in and that is the best way to get your foot in the door. You learn, you get to learn a lot of different areas. Um, it's a, a safe environment as far as, you know, if, if you don't know everything about something, that's okay. It's on the job learning, training, and that's an easy pathway to when you graduate, you know, having a job. We've you know, in the last couple of years, we've hired over half of our interns. So I would say if you're a college student and you really think you want to be in the Olympic movement, uh, looking for internship opportunities is an easy access point um, uh, to, to an organization. And then they see your work ethic, you can learn on the job. And then I would much rather hire someone who already knows a little bit about our organization, you know, fresh from college than have to start all over with someone else. Um, I think mid-career, don't underestimate your skills from other industries or other businesses and how they would relate into the business of sport. Um, so our leadership team is a little bit unique in that only one, uh, our chief programs officer was an elite gymnast. The rest of us all came from different backgrounds. And some of us had sports backgrounds, but some of us didn't. Um, one came from a children's hospital. One is an attorney from a huge firm in DC. So they all have different backgrounds that you might not necessarily think, oh, USA Gymnastics is where I'm going to end up in my career, or where I'm going to spend some time in my career. And yet those um, business experiences have translated to what we needed as an organization when we needed it. So don't underestimate your 
non-sport business or non-business um, skills or experience or expertise, because it might be exactly what an organization is looking for. Um, you know, whether it's in a, a professional role like finance or IT, or if it's, you know, running our membership program or running our safety programs. Um, so I think just keeping your, your mind open to what that might look like is, is uh, really key as well. All right. One more as we start to wrap up the episode and then we'll get to a quick rapid fire. But you've worked with a lot of uh, probably the leaders across the different governing bodies, kind of pick their brains, talk to them, build relationships. We've had quite a few on as well. Um, what's the one thing that you maybe learned from others at different organizations, different sports uh, that you maybe didn't didn't know uh, coming into the job? Oh, that's a great question. I think probably how tight and well connected the Olympic movement really is. Uh, there, you know, there's over 50 NGBs in this country. We all have our very specific sports and we're all running our day-to-day -day businesses. And yet I know that if I need something, I can pick up the phone and call Renee Washington at track and field or Shana um, at swimming. And they're always willing to help. It's a very well connected and networked, but everyone is willing to help each other because it's all good for the movement. It's all good for the Olympic movement and it's all good for our athletes. So um, I think that's something that was, I, I just had no idea the connectivity and the networking and the um, kind of helping each other out that, that happens within the Olympic movement. Um, but I think it's also our strength and why organizations that have 50 people, and again, we're one of the larger ones, can do as much as we do. There's other NGBs that have like two employees and that's it. And they're still having to do all the kind of things that we're doing. So um, that connectivity and, and ability to help each other and willingness to help each other is really been something that was uh, surprising to me. I had no idea, but I've been so appreciative of it. And last thing, what's the one, we'll call it business, uh, unique business aspect to the governing bodies that maybe you didn't understand prior to taking the role a couple of years ago to where now you're in it and you're like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. Or um, that's really just unique to governing bodies and not to other organizations. Yeah, 100% the importance of our volunteer community. Um, the reason we are able to do the things that we can do is because we have literally hundreds to thousands of volunteers who run our state and region meets, who run our uh, clinics on a local level, who volunteer to the sport of gymnastics hours, I mean, 20, 30 hours a week. Um, I had no idea. I wondered how an organization this small had such a global impact and, and that's it. It is the volunteer community, the passion that they have for their particular sport where they are willing to give 20 hours of, of their quote free time um, to volunteer to, to make the overall organization stronger and the sport stronger. So that's the one thing that um, I am completely amazed, very appreciative, full of gratitude for those volunteers because we could not do it without them. Yeah, I, I learned the same thing in golf. Every golf tournament has hundreds of volunteers that help run the event. And without them, like you have, you know, eight people running the event, if that and it doesn't, it doesn't happen without the volunteers in that local area, right? So same same type of thing. Right. All right, rapid fire, are you ready? Sure. If there was a subject you could have taught in high school that you didn't, what would it have been? English. 
Oh, okay. Uh, if there was a sport you could have played in college outside of cheerleading, mm -hmm. what would it have been? Volleyball. What position would you have played? Outside setter and hitter. Yeah, I like this. Rapid fire. I like it. Um, <laughs> all right. If there's one, we'll call it uh, gymnastics arena uh, that you would say, hey, if you're if you're a fan, you got to go to this one around the country. Where is it? I, I have to say Dickies in Fort Worth. They have a every event we've had at Dickies in Fort Worth is phenomenal. It's amazing. All right. Last one for you. If there was a, uh, if there's a move in gymnastics, right, a, a skill, a, a jump, or whatever, like that, you would say that's the one that I want to figure out how to master. What is it? Oh, I would say any of them that are named after our athletes. Uh, we have quite a few. You know, Simone has you know a whole book for herself, but I would say any of the ones that you know the American athletes have that are named after them. They're so amazing. So. Um, this is my small little lack of knowledge of, of the actual moves, but like if, if you were to compete in a gymnastics event, are you going on, on the bar or are you going, I mean, what, what are you doing? What am I doing? Floor. Yeah. Floor. Okay. Not bars. I, I was terrible at bars when I did gymnastics. I was not a bars girl. So, uh, floor definitely. And if floor. you're doing floor, what's your song? What's the, what's the music? Oh, oh that's a good question. See, I, I got a little know. bit, I got a little bit of knowledge. I, I know. I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. I can't think of something. Um, I don't know. It has to be something like high, like high tempo, fast pace, something popular, maybe salt and pepper. Is it, a, is it one song or I'll, is it actually like a mixture compilation of songs? It, it can be a compilation. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'll let you off the hook then. You don't have yeah, to. Yeah, it can be a compilation. That's a hard one. I, I kind of stole Jordan Childs when I was like salt and pepper because hers was so good last year. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Lauren, really appreciate all of the insights, advice. Uh, it's been a fun conversation and learning a little bit more about USA Gymnastics, your role and your career path. And thanks again. We'll have you on again in the near future. Well, thanks, Jake. It was nice to talk to you. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to today's episode. And I just want to give a quick shout out to ScreenSkins, our presenting sponsor of the Teamwork Online webinar series, the number one branded screen protector that allows you to personalize your screen protector for custom or officially licensed designs that disappear. Get yours today by visiting screenskins.com and use the code LIFO24 at checkout for 20% off today. LIFO24 at screenskins.com at checkout for 20% off. Thanks, everyone.